0: Welcome to Dragon Talk. I'm Greg Tito, and this is the first podcast we're recording in 2017.
1: Happy New Year!
0: Happy New Year to you, Shelley. Did I
1: scare you right? I thought I saw you jump.
0: He's a little bit jumped. He's a little yeah. jumpy today. <laughs> we're all a little <laughs> bit jumpy. It could be from the two cups of coffee and or mouth of coffee grounds that I had this morning.
1: Ew. Yeah. Here? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, I got that last sip. I was like, give me that
1: last sip. And it was like
0: all grounds. You
1: know the coffee's free and plentiful here. You don't have to drink the grounds. I just didn't know the grounds would be in there. Maybe that's good luck or something.
0: Yeah. You can tell the future by the coffee grounds at the bottom.
1: By the coffee grounds that you spit back into the garbage (laughs) can.
0: (laughs) And my future is I'm going to get another cup of coffee. All
1: right. All right. Did you have a nice holiday break?
0: I did. What did you do? You went to places.
1: I went to Florida. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. It was fun. It was you look warm. very tan. Do I? Yeah. Really? Bart does too. I thought he did. Yeah. Yeah.
0: He's got some color, even though he's like, I try not to. I try I to stay in the shade. Oh, I
1: know. All right. But the child kept forcing us into the sunlight.
0: How dare he want to have fun?
1: I know. He's like, he wanted to swim in a pool. <laughs> lame.
0: lame can't yeah, make. you can't do that on Christmas. That's why Christmas in Florida is always feels weird. It's, it's like
1: really weird
0: putting the it's lights like, up on the palm trees.
1: Basically, as soon as I get to Florida, it's no longer Christmas. Right. It's just, but then the, the day after Christmas happens, and I'm like, I'm happy to be in Florida because, I mean, why not?
0: Why not? Exactly. Christmas
1: is over. Nice. Might as well go swim in a seventy-five degree ocean.
0: We stayed here in Seattle town. Yeah. Did a lot of Seattle type stuff. Was it cold? It was cold. It was very chilly. We did sledding. Where? Went up to Snow Snoqualmie Pass. Oh, fun. And basically found a parking lot that had a hill on it. So we, didn't, we didn't pay any, like, mm-hmm. you know, passes or anything. We just did that. Oh, that's good. Fiona lasted about, like, 20 minutes and was done. She's like, no.
1: Too cold? Cry, oh, cry, cry, cry. Scary? Yeah, because
0: she went down once and then the snow, like, sprayed in her face because mm, yeah. she put her feet, feet down.
1: That'll learn you.
0: That'll learn her, and then she kind of fell off as we were going down.
1: Yeah, I could see why she'd be done with. Not happy. I
0: hadn't a great time though.
1: Quinn had uh, a couple years ago. We were at the ocean in Florida, mm-hmm. and we had our beach chairs down by in the surf. And then a wave came, and kind of took the the chair into the ocean a little. Yeah. And that just freaked him out forever. Aww. Like he's never gotten over the fact that the ocean tried to steal my chair. <laughs> And he doesn't like the ocean now. He's like, we're done. He won't even put his feet in it. He's just like, no. Nah. Yeah. He'll, he'll go and dig in the sand and play. Poseidon but, will steal my yeah. chair. <laughs> He's like, he'll keep bringing that up. And I brought a beach chair down. And he was like, Mommy, no. Don't bring that here. No. It's going to happen again. It
0: has the thing. <laughs> oh,
1: dude, seriously. Did you do
0: any uh, gaming over the we week? We
1: played our annual um, Cards Against Humanity Christmas nice. Eve game the nice. family.
0: Always good with the fam. Always
1: good. Yeah. Super fun. Funnily enough, I played
0: Cards Against Humanity on Christmas Eve, You too. did? Really? Yeah, with our neighbors, yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. We had the Trump and Clinton booster editions. Oh, yeah,
0: we still just have the basic one.
1: Yeah, we added those in.
0: Even though I forgot, like I paid, they had those things you could do during the holidays and get your, like, oh, yeah. whatever you want on a card. I have my name on a Cards Against Humanity card somewhere. I don't know where it is, though.
1: Oh, you can make another one. I guess you can. Right? You know, <coughs> excuse me. I have still have a cough from like three weeks ago.
0: That was like the most uh, petite little cough I was like... Because
1: <laughs> no, it's not all out yet. and I'm trying to be really polite. <laughs> it's going to it's gonna come back and bite me. You
0: know, and the pretending to cough is worse than the actual cough. It really is. Good job.
1: That's my fake cough. <laughs> I'm really sick. I have to go home.
0: Mm, I'm calling in <laughs> sick to the podcast.
1: <laughs> oh, no, don't do that. It's going to... <laughs> oh no! Okay, all right. But anyway, a really good gift yes. that I did because my brother is a huge fans of, huge fan of Cards Against Humanity, is I made him a, like a whole deck of personalized cards. Oh, nice! Like things that like that only like all of his friends' got. names and like events that happened to him oh, and, that's and just cool. like funny little things. And he still said it's the best gift he ever had, and it cost me like nothing.
0: Aww. That is sweet.
1: I know. it's. So it's, well, it's a good could idea. Did you put
0: embarrassing things in there too? Oh yeah, you nice. have to. Yeah. 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 I feel like that's, I think only a uh, big sister or a little sister? Little. Little sister. Only a little sister could really do
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. And get away
0: with it. And get away
1: with it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I put my own name on a card. So he Oh. Can,
0: yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Anyway. That's cool. Yep. We uh, uh I tried to do some some other gaming uh some netrunner and uh oh, we I, were played, well, talking I played I played a Star Trek uh Ascendancy game. That was fun from EA Who were you playing with? Um that one was my neighbor and a friend who is another Tito. I don't know if you know this. there's another Tito in West Seattle.
1: I do cuz I, I see them posting on the the West Seattle oh, group.
0: Oh <laughs> nice. Uh, so yeah he came, I got steamrolled. He was the Romulans, I was the Federation, and I got killed very fast. Oh it's yeah. So bad. It's basically I blame the third player, the Klingon player, because he screwed
1: up. It's kinda of funny though that there's another Tito in your neighborhood. Yeah. And he's a gamer.
0: And he's a gamer too. Mm. Yeah, exactly. We hung out on New Year's as well. Nice. Yeah. So, all right, that's enough small talk from the Dragon Talk.
1: Anyway, thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. (laughs) We have a new format for the podcast. (laughs) It's just us talking. It is. Catching up. Yeah. We haven't seen each other in two weeks.
0: Exactly. That's what most podcasts are. Well, the, the conversational ones. Yeah. 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 Then there's ones that are like we Man. must talk about issues, like
1: informational. <laughs> huh.
0: Which we have those too. Speaking of information, yeah. Uh, well, Dungeons and Dragons has got lots of fun stuff out there. Uh, it's after the holidays, so I'm sure you're you you know you're already rich with all the Dungeons and Dragons uh, uh, loot that you can get. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there might be some new. <coughs> I'm
1: so oh my sorry. god! It's still coughing. I know it's gonna just keep happening. I'm there sorry.
0: might be some fun new stuff you'll find about soon, possibly even today. What? But before we get to all that, we have, uh, and I want to let you know about our amazing guest that we have coming up. Yeah. Yes, Monica Valentinelli.
1: Love it. Love her name. She
0: is a wonderful writer uh, of adventures. Uh, has a long history with D um, and D, uh, and I think she's got some really thoughtful things to say.
1: I think so too. Yeah.
0: So that'll be really interesting. Before we even get to her and our conversation with her, yeah. I want to tell you about some uh, products that D and D is announcing today.
1: Amazing. Yes.
0: A new product. It's a book. You're
1: announcing that today? Yeah,
0: because we're going to announce tomorrow, which is today.
1: That's so weird. (laughs) I'm not good at time travel. Because we're time traveling again. I don't get time travel. It's
0: called, I I love that we slow played this and buried the lead. It's called Tales from the Yawning Portal.
1: Oh, no way.
0: It's a book about the portal of yawning. Whoa. Yes. Uh, The bar, the yawning portal, it's in Waterdeep. Yeah. Run by a guy named Dernan. Hey, Darnan. And uh, if you don't know anything about Darnan or the Yawning Portal, you might find out from our Lore You Should Know segment. I was
1: just going to say, wouldn't that be a good Lore You Should Know?
0: And it's already going to be playing so right now. That one. But just, well, I mean, not right now. Because I'm going to say one more thing. Uh, poor poor Ryan is is wagging, uh. wagging his finger at me. Um. But tales with the yawning portal is a book that contains uh, seven adventures, oh, updated cool. uh, from from D and D past all the way oh, from
1: classic ad- adventures.
0: Yes, yeah, like against the giants and nice. tomb of horrors, and then what? more recent ones. Uh, tomb of
1: horrors is in there. Tomb of horrors is in there. Oh, that's
0: cool. Yeah, uh, the original. I'm going back. Updated for fifth edition. I'm doing uh, it. As well as let's play of- it. Let's do it right now. Okay. Uh, You're uh,
1: dead. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of how Real it was the first dead. time I played. <laughs> uh,
0: and then this all updated for 5th edition. And there's ones in there like Dead in Thay, as well as White Plume Mountain. I
1: have heard of all of these. Yes,
0: Forge of Fate, Flame. There's a forge. There's really a forge cool. in there. All right. Uh, but you'll find Stay out more. all about so, it on DungeonsandDragons.com. Go check it out.
1: When is it coming out?
0: It is coming out April 4th. For all wide release, then of course it'll be in uh, game stores two weeks before that, on April uh, twenty, March twenty fourth. Yes, it is amazing, and you'll get even more of uh, uh, thoughts about how amazing it is when we listen to that Laura, you should know segment, uh, now. Hello and welcome to Lore You Should Know, the segment where uh, myself interviews two lovely gentlemen uh, about fun lore topics from the Forgotten Realms and Dungeons and Dragons in general. Uh, So I am joined here with uh, uh, Mr. Matt Cernet. Hello.
2: Howdy, how's it going? Not too bad. Chris Perkins, how are you today? Very well, thank you. You look well. Yes, I am. Yes. This is my day off. What a great way to spend it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for coming in and chatting about the lore of Dungeons & Dragons. I'm sure that's always a, uh, uh, an easy way to get you out of bed. Yes. Excellent. Uh, so today we're going to expand on a topic uh, that we mentioned briefly during the Waterdeep uh, Lore You Should Know segment, uh, which I believe was uh, broadcast this summer, so go check that out uh, if you're interested in more. But uh, today we're going to talk about the Yawning Portal, a specific tavern within the city of Waterdeep run by a gentleman named or Dernan. or Durnan. Is it Durnin or Dernan? Durnan. Tomato-tomato? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so the Cormerians will pronounce it Dernan and uh, we will pronounce it Dernan for uh, uh, the rest of this podcast. Uh, so Matt, what, what can you tell us about
3: the Yawning Portal? So the Yawning Portal uh, is in sort of Waterdeep's governmental district, but it's not a Fancy governmental building. It's an old, uh, sort of ramshackle, rambling tavern of. Uh, it's got, it's a big place. It's an uh, inn as well, and uh, inside it, it's got this great big well-like pit that drops down, um, you know, dozens of feet, and that is the entrance to uh, Undermountain, the huge, sprawling, multi-level dungeon underneath the city of Waterdeep. And why would somebody build an inn over top uh, (laughs) of the entrance to a multi-level dungeon? Well, uh, if you go way, way back, uh, so we've talked about, I think, Halaster before, and how this wizard um, sort of built this tower on the outskirts of Waterdeep. uh, And he had all his apprentices, and he disappeared into the tower. His apprentices followed him into the tower because they were sort of lured into the depths. Um, and eventually, uh, they all went away and the tower fell to ruins uh, and uh, Waterdeep sort of grew up to swallow up those ruins. Um, one of the things about the, the ruins is that the, the tower uh, and all its floors and sort of um, stairwells and all that kind of thing uh, went way deep into the ground. Uh, and so this is like a big, wide, 40-foot uh, diameter um, sort of well-like structure that, that just plunges into the earth. And in the early days of Waterdeep, they used that as uh, the place where they would put prisoners, uh, any criminals or um, folks that uh, were on the bad side of the lords and stuff like that would get either thrown into that pit, sort of, uh, you know, this is Sparta style, or lowered down. And um, they were left to their own devices in this vast, uh, sprawling dungeon where they inevitably all died. (laughs) <laughs> but some of them some of them didn't. That's right. So uh, Durnan and, uh, and, and Mert, the money lender, as he is known. Um, who uh, I believe Ed Greenwood says is the first named character
0: uh, in the Forgotten Realms that he wrote. That's correct.
3: Yes. And they were the first to sort of go down to this dungeon uh, sort of willingly and then come back out. And when they came out, they both came out with just loads and loads of cash and magic items and just all this stuff, treasure. And uh, Mert used his money to build a sort of palatial mansion down um, by the, the the bay and, um, you know, to, to buy fine wines and build a beautiful garden and all that kind of thing. And uh, Dernan uh, decided he had more humble tastes, and so he uh, built an inn tavern around the, uh, the structure of the um, the tower base itself and essentially uh, charged money to go down in there for other people to sort of try their luck. So then it became sort of this weird uh, uh, adventurer's lottery, right? Like, mm-hmm. maybe you could go down there and come out with lots of money and, you know, like Dernan and Mert did. And so over the years, that's kind of been Dernan and uh, Durnan's role with uh, Yawning Portal is this... Um, he's been the innkeeper of uh, this place where um, people can pay a small fee and maybe buy some gear from Durnan and then head down into undermountain and uh, hopefully come back out. And apparently has no scruples about
2: sending adventurers to <laughs> nope, their doom. No, right. <laughs> It's quite a racket, actually, for him.
0: <laughs> so uh, what that has done, though, is, is attracted a, a large number of adventurers, uh, possibly the top tier of adventurers who, who want to try their hand at this.
3: Yeah, and I mean certainly throughout um the the history of the setting, uh plenty of characters have gone down into Undermountain and done things down there. And uh within the sort of setting material for Waterdeep, uh it's well known that various nobles eventually go down there and, you know, and uh, ver- just parties of adventurers show up in the inn fairly regularly mm-hmm. and they they're sort of cheered as they go down and um and then, you know, they don't... Never spoken of again. <laughs> come <Yeah>. back up. <laughs> I, I'm at, in, my, in my sort of headcanon for the for the, uh, uh, the Yawning Portal, there's like a chalkboard somewhere where they they list the names of people who've gone down there and how many days they've gone down. Right. And then, like, you know, it's a certain number of days they just cross the name off the list. Like, if you haven't come back in 30 days, you're done. It's, you know? a, it's a bit like a Deadpool, <laughs> yeah. I guess, to be like,
0: you know, where they're betting on uh, who's going to make it out yeah. and when yeah. they're not going to ever come back and things right. like that. Uh, so uh, the Yawning Portal then has become a hub for, as I said, adventurers that kind of come and, and, and want to test their mettle. Uh, but there's also a chance for them to uh, tell tales. And, and you know even when they're not uh, necessarily recruiting for the Yawning, you know, to go down into the Undermountain, it's a good recruiting center just for adventurers in general.
3: Right. And, and in the city of Waterdeep, the Yawning Portal is now at this point like a tourist attraction. Mm-hmm. So even if you don't go to actually... Go down in there in the into Undermountain. You might go to go see other people go down, or you might pay your gold coin to get lower down a little way, and then come right back out and say, "I went to down into Undermountain, you know, <laughs> right. like the bumper sticker, <laughs> right? And so yeah. That, yeah, it's definitely a place where um, you know a lot of stories are told, and a lot of people are are kind of you know, just excited to go and that kind of a thing. So. Cool.
0: What, uh, what do you imagine, Chris, the interior of the uh, yawning
2: portal looks like, if you were to
3: uh, describe it? The walls it.
2: are covered with T-shirts that say,
4: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: I survived the yawning portal. Yeah. Uh, yep, souvenir um, mugs. Yeah, um, I sort of, I see it as a very traditional kind of medieval style realms in, in you know, kind of heavy old sagging timbers, all kinds of weird paraphernalia and oddities on the walls lots of space because it does attract a large number of people Um, and then uh, Dark hallways leading to old rooms that probably haven't been refurbished in X X number of years (laughs) Uh, Kind of uh, a little bit on the dingy side, but um, not without its charm
3: Yeah, I think uh, in my head, it's a little bit like, I don't know, a Red Robin or one of those restaurants where they just tack a lot of weird stuff on the walls right? random yeah. statues, Choshkis. you know, and it's, it's like, why is there a carousel horse here? I don't know. Right. Right. You know.
0: Welcome to shenanigans. Yeah. and Waterdeep style.
3: Yeah. And so they, you know, it's just tons of stuff people have pulled up from uh, Undermountain or mm-hmm. um, things they've traded, you know, in order to, to pay their bar tabs or you know, <laughs> whatever it might be.
2: Yeah. And has been around a long time. Yeah. Um, He's not a he's not a
3: big time wizard or anything like that. No, he's, he's just been very lucky. He's just a fighter in sort of the the Fawford and Grey Mauser kind of style of mm-hmm. hero. Uh, and I, the, I think it was 1302. I might be wrong about that, but the 1302 when he first went down there. So. Um, even in the uh, gray box era of the realms, which I think come uh, 1960, yeah, something like yeah. that. He's super old, and so uh, he and Mert both have, uh, in the canon of the realms, are partakers of potions of longevity, I see. which preserve their lives for a long time. And so, in the fourth edition era, uh, it was stated that they, uh, Duran the Sixth, took over the inn and was running it. Uh, which is a little weird because I'm not quite sure how you get six generations of Durnans and or is it to, like somebody named their all six children Durnan <laughs> <You know? laughs> like a George Foreman style? <laughs> yeah. right. So, uh, um, but so I'm not qu- quite sure about that. But I, I think it's it's fair to say that Durnan, the 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 first original Durnan, uh, disappeared for some time, mm. and uh, he has recently returned from some adventures. In far-off lands, or worlds, or places that you might reach through Undermountain.
0: Right, and so one of the reasons why uh, we're talking about this is that we recently announced uh, Tales from the Yawning Portal, uh, which is a product that contains uh, seven adventures um, from all over uh, uh, D and D's history and and uh, different settings and whatnot. But the idea is that uh, Durnan as heard all these tales. These have all happened within the Yawning Portal, so some of the adventurers that have been through there may have traveled
2: to different lands. Is that... Yeah, the Yawning Portal is kind of a a hub of um, lore, or a place where you can go and hear tales of far-off dungeons, Mm -hmm. because it attracts a unique clientele, a very adventurous clientele, and stories of places like the tomb of horrors and white plume mountain if they're going to be heard anywhere in the forgotten realms they're probably Mm. going to be heard here uh and so tales of the yawning portal is a is a framing device that allows us to kind of reintroduce these seven adventures in a uh, sort of give them a shared narrative i see
0: and can you imagine Dungeon Masters using the Yawning Portal uh, as a way to introduce these uh, uh, adventures that may not, um, you know, be canon for the Forgotten Realms, but that you can kind of be like, oh, this is, you know, similar to the way Ravenloft uh, or, or Curse of Strahd, rather, uh, you know, you, there was ways to push off from from different worlds and get into that bubble.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think, a, I think a creative DM can take a look at the Yawning Portal and say this could be kind of like a, a hub of the multiverse. Mm. Um, we've said in 5th edition that, you know, the wor- our worlds are connected or there are connecting points right. so it's not its not beyond the pale to have Morden Kanan show up in the Yawning Portal or um, to have any other character from any other world show up in FR or to have FR characters go off on excursions into other worlds um, a DM could easily say well there, there's a hidden portal in the Yawning Portal or mm-hmm. the Yawning Portal has access to a portal that leads to the vast swamp of Greyhawk, so you can yeah. go to the Tomb of Horrors. Right.
3: And certainly uh, in Undermountain, for centuries now, uh, Halaster has been pulling people from other mm-hmm. worlds into it. Um, monsters from other places in the in the world, or other planes, and all kinds of different things like that. So there would definitely be in Undermountain be gateways uh, that you might stumble into, or Halaster might just throw you through, because he's being mean, right? <laughs> you know,
0: or or I could even see a, uh, a, a you know a, a straggler who is pulled in and doesn't know where he is. Finally, makes his way up to the tavern. Right. Uh, and and says,
2: "Let uh, me tell you about this yeah, place. Exactly. <laughs> where <Right>. am I?
1: <laughs> Do
0: I have a quest for you? Yes. <laughs> uh, interesting. Cool. Uh, so w- one thing we didn't—I don't know if we made clear—and I w- I, w- I don't want to uh, end this without doing it. Why exactly is it called the Yawning Portal? Is there uh, a motif or a visual that that
3: makes that? So the the main reason I think is really just this giant forty foot um, wide well. I mean, it, it's described like a well in the sense of like the a wishing well, but it really I mean, it's it's forty feet in diameter. It's mm-hmm. this big giant hole in the ground, and it, it drops. Um, I forget how many feet. It's dozens of feet down. So um, you know, it is it is really this big yawning hole into darkness and. All the weirdness that comes from under undermountain and all that kind
0: of thing. Is there a, a you know a spiral staircase that
2: goes down? Do people typically no, use magic no, when they no, go down? They, they can they can if they have it. Yeah. Um, but most people just sort of hook a rope on one side of the well yeah, and climb down. <laughs> and Duran just tosses. The there's some iron lines. Lines. There's iron <laughs> there's rings <laughs> in the walls. To well, there's with there's rappelling.
3: a there's a winch basically, yeah. and you can you can oh, okay. get, get sort of winched out yes. into the center of the well and lowered down on a rope. Oh. and and then you know if you have basically you uh, you you pay money to go down you pay money to come up so uh, if you don't have the money when you come back because you're wandering around under mountain because Halister uh, teleported you some through some portal that took away all your metal right <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> then uh, then you can't winch back up again uh, but essentially um, uh, there's there's this rope that you get lowered down and into out of the... And I think there would be essentially a tourism aspect of that, of like, mm-hmm. you know, I would be lowered... Um, and you might get lowered all the way down to the very bottom and then say, like, quick, pull me back up again because who knows what's coming out of the shadows. Right, or, or you just hear some sort of wind or breeze or <laughs> something it's like, oh, God. <laughs> you, know, you know, you might... I think there's... Um, the, we have this idea that there might be sort of the rules of Undermountain written on the walls as you go down, mm. right? Sort of the, the ways that you... Uh, you know the, th- the things that you know to do that the won't piss off Hallister or gain his attention Because right? the worst thing you want to do uh, the worst thing you can do on Under mountain is get Halaster's attention Because at that point you have no idea what's going to happen, right? He's, he's just he's, so powerful yeah, and he's alone. Yeah, so You know it would be things like you know no teleporting know this no that you know all these kinds of things as you go down and At the very bottom of the well uh, canonically There's a whole bunch of graffiti like just people have just written all kinds of things like so-and-so was here or you know, I, uh, you know, I lost my brother at this point, you know, if anybody sees him, or I'm going back for so-and-so, if you don't hear from me, blah, 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 you know, and there's all these different sort of things. Well, that's really interesting, yeah. too. Like, that reminds me mm-hmm.
0: of uh, uh, the Dark Souls video games in a way where, like, you could, there was messages about people, you know, how they died and why they died or, like, you know, they could be hints, they could be helpful, right. they could be yeah. uh, uh, traps in a way, uh, so I think more of nefarious of adventurers could be like, oh, if you go this way, there's a treasure. And one of the graf- ambush people.
3: graffiti things is, like, there's a secret door but you'll never find it and there actually is a secret door (laughs) (laughs) and no one has ever found it (laughs) so it's it's fun stuff like yeah it's a really interesting area
2: yeah yeah cool one of my favorite things about the yawning portal is just it's a place of infinite possibilities i mean i always have this image of a party of adventurers showing up and ordering linguine and they're having that near the yawning portal and then like a troll climbs up from the depths i mean literally anything can come up out of under mountain and, uh, Give me that linguine. Exactly. And <laughs> instead of, you know, everybody in the tavern freaking out, they just sort of grab their lamp oil and start splashing the <laughs> creature, <laughs> yeah. beating it back down into the hole, setting it on fire, knocking it off, and oh, then I they guess. go back to finishing their dinner. It's just like, whatever. Okay. Yeah, because
0: they're all professionals. Well, you know, they that, yeah, they, with they're used to have having
3: something weird come out of the portal, you're, you're going portal every now and then or out of the, 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 the sort of the yeah. giant. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, cool.
0: well, I, I also just like the idea of it being this 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 hub of where
3: where mm-hmm. where people go.
0: It's almost like a like a Hollywood or something like that, or like a you know uh, a Broadway where like you know if if you're famous for an adventurer, you are known uh, uh, at least, and there's graffiti about you and there's you know,
2: there, there's there's a bit so, right? And you might meet somebody famous. You know, Artemis yeah. and Trerry might be at the table next to you,
0: right? Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. Definitely.
2: I love that.
0: Cool. All right, well, thank you guys. Uh, the uh, Tales from the Auditing portal comes out uh, wide release on April fourth. Uh, You can check it out then, uh, but we'll be talking uh, maybe a couple more segments having to do with some of the adventures as we get closer to that date. Uh, Thanks, guys. Um, We'll see you next week. Awesome. All right.
1: Cheerio. Cheerio. And scene.
0: Awesome. (laughs) Now, that was a great Lori you should know about the Yawning Portal. And everything that happens in that crazy bar.
1: So you know, drunk history. Yes, awesome. Oh, we should do a drunk. That's what I'm thinking. Like, you should be doing your tales from the yawning portal. I just want
0: to get Matt and Chris drunk, really. Oh my! And then God. record it.
1: I'm, I'm fully behind this. <laughs> I'm not I just saying, heard like, that your wheels
0: churning in r- your head.
1: R- r- like thinking about Perkins drunk. He probably doesn't get. He's probably immune to the effects of alcohol. Yeah. But Cernat would be really adorably charming and funny. I think so. And probably giggling a lot.
0: Uh, Yes. We'll have to make that happen. That's what I picture. We should have done that around the holidays. So maybe next year. I feel (sighs) like that's a holiday themed.
1: I don't think so. No? I yeah. think it's It's a, an
0: all-year-round theme Yeah. Thing. All right. I believe you.
1: There's holidays all the time. That's true. Valentine's That's right. Valentine's Day.
0: In fact, we uh, we talked about holidays in another Louis Cheneau segment uh, a couple of weeks ago.
1: Forgotten Realms holidays? Yeah,
0: exactly. And how amazing they are. And now they're all involved drinking with Matt and Chris.
1: <laughs> I, I love it. I'm
0: down with that. Done. All right. We have a very special guest today yes. uh, to talk to. Uh, her name is Monica Valentinelli.
1: She has a very cool name.
0: A very cool name. And uh, she's a wonderful writer uh, and adventure mistress, uh, uh, putting together lots of adventures. Uh, and uh, a dungeon mistress is what I was trying to say, Okay, it came out strange. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, let's call her up on, on the Skypes and we'll, uh, we'll talk to her.
1: Okay. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Monica. Hi, Shelly. How are you?
4: Good. How are you? Cold, but good. Oh.
0: You uh <laughs> like, Where Where are you based? based?
4: Uh, Madison, oh, Madison, cold. Wisconsin. Cold. Yeah.
0: Kind of near the birthplace of D and D.
4: Kind of. <laughs> That's We're cool. a university town, so you know there's a lot of college students that play D and D here, and there's a big gaming environment for sure. But and because it's so cold, yeah. you don't ever want to go outside. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, it's either game or drink. So or both. Or both. <laughs> so, we we're just talking about that. Yeah, it'll some keep, people. Yeah.
0: It'll keep you warm.
4: Yeah. And absolutely.
0: Make your mind warm. That's and give
1: fun. you beer muscles. Give your wizards beer muscles. That's what's happened to me. <laughs> I'll go first, guys. <laughs> 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 okay.
0: Awesome. So, uh, Monica, you are a uh, fairly prolific writer of adventures uh, uh, and as well as um, writing a whole bunch of, uh, uh, you know, basically, would you call yourself a freelance writer?
4: Um, Yeah, I have a business basically that's based on uh, writing, editing and game development. Mm -hmm. So... um, making games is what I consider to be my full time job. And then in addition to that, I also write short stories and I'm working on novels and novellas. So,
1: yeah, super fun. That's awesome. Working on writing short stories and novellas or editing or, or both?
4: Um, a little bit of both. Um, because of the way that freelance writing works is, you know, a lot of times you're doing it for other people mm-hmm. when I do it for myself. Um, I consider that work to be, you know, on spec because I have to submit it and I don't know if it's going to sell and, you know, all of that sorts of stuff. So working on my original stuff, I consider it to be on spec because it's not part of what I do day to day. Um, but, um, last year I did a bunch more like editing anthologies for other game developers, which was super fun. Cause I really love the lore and the richness and the depth of a lot of the settings that people have to offer. So... Um, yeah, basically I'm just, <laughs> I apologize. I'm just excited to be here and I'm putting everything within the context of Monica speak in addition to, <laughs> you know, being super stoked about, you know, talking about Dungeons and Dragons. So, yeah. um, yeah. So basically it's just my way of saying I'm not getting, uh, I'm not getting paid for this up front, so I don't know what to do with it. Therefore, you know, some of that stuff tends to take a little bit lower priority.
0: That makes total mm-hmm. sense. You were doing a, yeah. uh, a Firefly anthology, right?
4: Uh, no. So, um, I was the developer for the Firefly game line. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did, we did six books in two years. Nice. Did wow. five or six books in two years. And then, um, I also created a, um, Firefly dictionary and phrase books for Titan books.
0: Right. That's what I was
4: so thinking. So That of. was, yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun because I got to go through the scripts and pull out different words and kind of expand the setting for people. And um, I also got to work with the show's translator for Mandarin Chinese. Um, no way. Which, yeah, that was super great. Yeah, we have an um, interview with Jenny Lin in the dictionary, which is really awesome for fans because she talks about all of her experiences. Um, Working on the show. She was also the voice of Serenity and she got to do more work in the Serenity movie as well So yeah, I was you know as a fan of the show myself It was really cool to be able to you know work with somebody that actually worked on the show Um, And and to be able to do that for fans is really cool.
0: I love the details of adding in different languages to Sci-fi and fantasy settings. I mean that, that what's what drew me into Lord of the Rings was Tolkien's like whole you know, Quenya and Sindarin, and and like they felt like a real world because mm-hmm. they all had their own languages, and I feel like Firefly and Serenity did that to a certain extent too with their own slang, and and you know mm-hmm. it felt like it was a, a real world. So it's cool that you got to delve into that that side of it.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and I'm I'm with you on the Tolkien stuff. I mean that that. Getting into those day-to-day details, you know, what people ate, you know, what the language they used, all these sorts of things. That's what makes those worlds come to life. And I think that's one of the reasons why fans love it so much Mm -hmm. is because it just feels like it's a place that you could just go and travel to.
0: Do you ever find you use those details when you're running your own games?
4: Absolutely. Um, Because I love... I love the part about adventuring where it's about, you know, you're facing off against a monster or some other antagonist um, and you get the MacGuffin or you find, you know, your story rewards or however you want to do it. But I find that the details are what ground people in the story and keep them focused on the moment Mm -hmm. and keeping them focused on the moment allows me to manage the pace a little bit better so that when I do have a surprise that comes from a character or something like that, it feels like they have a vested interest in what's happening. Um, They have a vested interest in what's happening to the characters and the townspeople mm-hmm. and all that other kinds of stuff. And they can also feel it. You know, what does the weather feel like? Is it raining? Is it sunny? Um, you know, what is the terrain like? Is it sharp? Yeah. Is it, you know, is it rocky? Is it sandy? And, and all of those details just make it feel like you're in the fight. Um, and then what I find is the players wind up narrating some of that stuff once they start taking those cues Mm. and going forward and adding those details in as they experience it more. And it's really lovely to see because as they get more grounded and more immersed in that world, it's almost like this, um, you know, this experience to them becomes something that they're living and they're, they're being in themselves.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I you know, I haven't been able to do the language as much or like you know, creating my own language, even though I kinda wanted to. I never
1: <laughs> Oh, that would be awesome. I know, I never went that, that awesome. far.
0: Uh but you know, just a little details about like weather and things like that. I remember I ran like an ice age kind of campaign and I just had a one what random, was the weather. Yeah, and then and an ice
1: age. It campaign. was
0: really bad. As it turns <laughs> like out.
1: Madison, Wisconsin. It was like Madison,
0: Wisconsin. <laughs> uh but i had like a d8 system where i was like oh if it was like basically 5 through 8 it was snowing and then like oh, one yeah, was like that stuff. one it was gray cool. but you know maybe you'd see sun a little bit you know and then i would do that and then the after a while the 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 party would be like what's the weather going to be like tomorrow like what's the weather going to be like oh, tomorrow
4: they need the 10 day forecast
0: now. yeah exactly yep uh, how
4: do you find when the weather's that bad exactly <laughs> how do you you know Are more people crowding at the inn? Um, (laughs) What happens when they run out of ale? You know, all of these very important questions. Yeah, and it's stuff like that that
0: makes it uh, I really feel like a vibrant thing that they're not just, you know, doing what the Dungeon Master tells them to do.
4: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, it's the difference between um, giving your players the ability to be proactive versus reactive, you mm. know, it's it's the idea that there are some players that just want to sit around waiting for somebody to tell them what to do, either because that's what they're comfortable with or because they're shy or because it's their new game, um, you know, but, but giving players those tools to be able to, you know, make those decisions and even kind of, you know, reach into those depths about what happens to their character that makes everything more powerful. Right. Um, yeah. The ability to do that.
1: It's a good way for people who are maybe a little bit shy or awkward about role playing to like, it's something, it's an easy hook for them to grab onto. Mm. Your character is, I'm cold. I'm cold. I'm role playing. See? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it is, it's, I, I always appreciate it when dungeon masters do that and add a little bit of extra flavor. Mm hmm.
0: Shelly said she's yeah. cold as she's got a blanket around her. I
1: do. I'm I'm role playing. <laughs>
0: You're role playing right now. I'm not
1: really cold. <laughs> you believe me. So, what is your your D and D background? We usually like to hear the origin of how somebody discovered Dungeons and Dragons.
4: Well, it's my um, my background with DD is kind of interesting because um, when I. I was always kind of on the fringes of D and D like watching other people play. And then when somebody tried to sit me down and play it in college, my first experience wasn't a great one. Mm. Um, but I did. And in part of that was because, um, you know, as, as a gamer, I love story. I love characters. I love those big surprise moments where, you know, all of a sudden, and you're going to be facing off Tiamat today. Um, no. You know, <laughs> those, those really wow, shocking moments. Um, um, you know, that's why I love gaming because it, it's never the same game twice. Even if it's the same adventure, you could run the same adventure for a bunch of people and people always make different decisions and there's different dynamics at the table. I love that part about it. Um, you know, when I was first learning the rules to me felt, um, the, the GM that was trying to teach me was so emphasized on the numbers and the rules that there was no story. There was nothing to hook me. There was, you know, nothing attached to that. And, um, as it turns out, the GM was also an engineer. So, um, rules, rules were (laughs) very important to him (laughs) and that's great that, that wasn't my style mm-hmm. um but because of that i slid into vampire the masquerade instead um which is very story which, based which is very story based but because i still really liked dungeons and dragons Ravenloft ended up being the one that oh. I
1: I could see that fell into
4: yeah. yeah because there was some similar themes and you know there was some crossover there, um, but then the other thing that really kept me with D and D was the novels. I mean, I can't tell you how many fans I've had put books by you know like Bob Salvatore in my hands and say like you have to read this <laughs> you know you have to, you have to read more about. Um, you know, Dreads and all of these different sorts of characters and yeah. worlds, and ever since, you know, that richness, that depth, and the sense of history in Dungeons and Dragons as well, um, you know, not just these are adventures on the trail, but um, as, uh, you know, kind of as an a, as a nod or an homage or or the origins, you know, mentioned in Lord of the Rings, as we've talked about, mm. that sense that there's more going on here than just this one adventure. I mean, that's really what kept me hooked. Um, you know, and the diversity of the monsters and the fact that you can run any genre in Dungeons & Dragons. I mean, you can run a horror game, you can run a comedy game if you really wanted to, buddy fantasy. Um, Those are the reasons why I kept coming back. And then um, I followed the different editions over the years and I played, you know, not as much as I do now. Um, But really, 5th edition with some of the hybrid mentality you know bringing back a little bit of these bits of stories that really hooked me and um i also i've been super impressed and just amazed with how well written and well structured the game books are i mean seriously well they are they're great and the art is amazing i mean everything just looks and feels like even you know every word every bit of art and all of the layout was extremely intentional and a lot of thought was put into it and, you know, after having how many editions and how many game books to have that new or that fresh take, especially with the new system, you know, I was I've been floored. It's been, you know, a joy to be able to see what comes out next.
0: Oh, nice. Well, that's I mean, it's all Jeremy Crawford and and, and uh, Emmy and then Shauna mm-hmm. uh, uh, Narciso, uh, the art director, um, has taken great care in making sure that it looked like a new Addition, you know, like not just rehashing, you know, the way D&D has been, but like give it a new fresh feel uh, while also um, delivering on the stuff that uh, older fans might really love, you know, as far as, you know, the mechanics and things like that. So I think, yeah, I mean, I I came into this only, you know, only working here about two years, almost soon. Um, But I was like you when I was a fan, like,
4: God, they really nailed it. They really nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. And, it, and it's really I mean, speaking as somebody that's worked on, you know, properties like Vampire the Masquerade and Firefly and all this other kinds of stuff, it's really hard to make fans happy um, when you have so many that hail from so many different editions over so many years. Yeah. And Dungeons and Dra- Dungeons and Dragons has um, a legacy that goes back decades. Um, so to be able to draw and recognize where some of those early fans came from and maybe how they've taught the game to their you know kids their other playing groups the people around them Mm -hmm. and that also you know potentially new fans because without new players the game cannot be you know it doesn't have a future so to be able to draw those people in and whatnot i mean so it's really interesting to see yeah and um i recognize what a challenge is but you know, these are gorgeous books. <laughs> so, I like I've this. Just I mean,
0: I have I have younger kids too, so I just like flipping through the pages uh, when they're around, uh, just to get some osmosis into their brain of like, uh, look at how you know amazing this is. And they
1: like looking at
4: the
0: art. They do. They like looking at the art, except for Curse of Strahd. They really don't like looking at that book. <laughs>
4: I can't <laughs> yeah. imagine why. I
0: think they are a fan, but they're a little bit like, whoa. What about Bolos? Uh, put they like that away. Uh, you know what? I haven't I haven't opened up Volos in front of them. I should. Storm right. King's Thunder has been what I've what I've had kind of. You know, around. Aww.
1: I think Quinn will like all those.
0: Yeah. Um, but that's an interesting point. I mean, I, we, 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 we talk a lot about how to make sure new fans have, you know, an easier way to get into the game. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's role playing games are a difficult concept to kind of get across in book form sometimes. Um, so it's always a struggle for us to make sure that they feel as accessible as possible.
1: Right. Especially because, Monica, you mentioned your first time. Was not mm-hmm. a great experience because there was so much emphasis on rules. So, and now that you've been playing for a while, what 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 tips do you have for introducing people to the world of Dungeons and Dragons?
4: Well, the one thing that I always keep in mind with new players is that everybody wants to be able to um, be the hero in some fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They want to do some, you know. They want to have that moment where they feel valued and important, but they're also scared that they're going to screw it up. Oh yeah, and you have summed up D and D for me right there. (laughs) Yeah, and and the biggest problem with screwing it up is that um, I think sometimes when we become experts in the games that we run, we forget that we're experts. Right. We forget how much we know. So, being able to relay what we know to somebody who doesn't is a really valuable skill and something that we can hone, but it also makes our regular games better.
1: Mm.
4: Because when we do that, we focus on kind of the heart of D&D, the reason why we're all playing together. And if we get so hung up on the minutiae, because we're the expert and our group are all experts and experts playing, sometimes what that does is that acts as a barrier to the people that may be listening in because we're playing in a game store, or maybe want to try something, but they're too nervous to ask. You know? Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's really interesting to me how, you know, it's, it's kind of a kind of a self-check where, oh my gosh, I know everything there is to know about feats. And then <laughs> you, know, you have two players like, wait a minute, what? Yeah. Can I, can I just want to like pick up my sword and slash, <laughs> you know, how do I do that? So. Because new players are so scared of screwing up and not looking stupid, sometimes that manifests in different ways. Sometimes they get sarcastic. I mean, certainly I've never done that. Um, <laughs> ever. I have no idea
0: what you're talking about.
4: <laughs> right? <laughs> sometimes we sometimes we crack jokes. Um, you know, sometimes new players will um, they'll also do something crazy just to see how far they can get away with. Yeah. You know, um, you know so they'll go the opposite direction. Or sometimes they'll just sit there and they won't do anything, and then when you ask them to do something, they won't do it. Um, what I like to use is a question, question technique, and the question technique that I use is, um, I come up with, if, if I have a new player who's stuck, what mm-hmm. I always come up with is three different things that they can do. Right. And what I do is I put it in the form of a question. I say, okay, there's a goblin right in front of you. Do you want to attack it with your sword? do you want to um, duck so your party member, you know, obviously I'm not walking through the mechanics here. I'm just, you know, giving options, but um, you know, do you want to duck? Uh, Do you want to throw this big rock at his head, you know, basically within the context of their character sheet, what actions can they take and give them options for them to choose from? So it's always their choice what they want to do, but sometimes they need that little bit of a push right it's like to guide them
0: it's giving them like cues you know like here you know this is the thing that's happening and here are three possible options or you could combine them or you know here's an environment thing like what would you want to do with that if you were in a movie or something like that right oh yeah that's
4: a good
0: one yeah yeah i think that's that's,
4: the and the, the nice thing with the cues is that sometimes what that will do is the players will be like, well, I don't want to do any of those things. I want to do this other crazy thing. Right. Well, how do I do that? And then, you know, you kind of show them within the context of the rules. You say, OK, the, the rules kind of help, um, you know, guide your actions. And here's how we can do that. Mm-hmm. And then you tell them what dice to roll. Another thing I do, which is super important for new players, when you're a DM and when you're rolling dice, tell them why you're rolling the dice. Mm. So, you know, if you're rolling for an NPC or a monster or, you know, any of those other sorts of things, say, well, I'm rolling this d20 because of this reason. And I'm, you know, rolling. And that way they get to know, you know, what the dice mean. And you don't have to do it very often, maybe just the first session or the second session, but that will really help them, you know, kind of look at their own character sheet and be like, okay, so I'm going to roll this dice for this reason. And then if they get something wrong, you know, they might look at you and be like, is that right? And, you know, you can politely correct them instead of having somebody go, oh, my God, no, that's the most, you know, you're supposed to grab a D8 instead of a D10. What are you doing? The world is ending. Um, That way, you know they they're participating on a level that you're communicating with them. So you're not talking down to them; you're talking with them.
0: Right, right. And I think great idea. Even just that, you know, uh, uh, tidbit there of like not talking down to them is something that, as a DM with other players, sometimes, you know, like you were talking about, like all the knowledge that other players have, and when there's a new player, everybody wants to. Confer that knowledge to the new player, uh, you know, and then sometimes that ends up being five people talking at once, giving advice, you know, mm-hmm. which to their mind, they think is being very constructive. Yeah. Uh, and helpful. But I having been a new player in that situation, uh, you know, and seeing it happen to, to other new players, that's very overwhelming to have everyone be like, you should do this. You should do this. You should do this. Yeah. Um so I don't know I've, I've, if you've had this experience either, but I always try to be like, all right, let me be the one, you know, the one person or like let, designate one person who's the, the mentor the or, the, or the guru or the coach where, you know, if they have questions that, you know, if, whether it's a, a couple or like two people who are like, hey, this is the friend that brought the other player yeah. in, like have them be the designated coach in a way.
4: Yeah. yeah that's a really great idea because um, you know sometimes personality dynamics also get in the way of teaching as well. Yeah. Um, you what you mentioned is a really great point. you know how do new players come into the game? Well, usually it's a friend of a friend right. mm-hmm. or you know it's it's usually it's not a stranger they they know somebody that's already at the table. And if they come into this new environment and the person that they're most comfortable with is sitting next to them, but everybody else is being very loud and overbearing because they're really into this thing and they're really passionate, and this person is trying to be at that level, but, you know, they're, they're just new. They, they don't know, you know, as much as everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they may, they may feel lost and uninvested because they don't get the chance to do their thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that dynamic, those personality dynamics are huge. And, um, you know, definitely players being experts, if, if they're all talking at once, it's great. I mean, that combined knowledge can form a wiki, but <laughs> you know, sometimes not at the table. Yeah. And <laughs> maybe that's
0: my own personality type showing. I just hate b- people telling me what to do <laughs> in any given in situation. General, situation. right? In yeah. <laughs> So, you know, so I seeing that happen to other people, I'm always like, wait, 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 hey guys, maybe this person is just like me and doesn't like to, uh, uh, you know, to be told this is the most optimal choice at all times.
4: You, you reminded me of, um, (laughs) it's kind of a funny thing, but you reminded me of nobles, right? So, Mm. so, um, you know, nobles in D and D, everybody's like, well, what can they do? And, you know, they're a class for a reason. Um, but, uh, um. One of the things that um, I was going to bring up is when you're helping players build their character,
1: mm-hmm.
4: try to keep it to half an hour or less. Oh, oh yeah. gosh. Yeah. If it yeah. goes longer than half an hour, you are going to lose the new player's attention span like you would not believe. Yep. Um, pre-gens can really help with that. But, you know, if it goes longer than half an hour, oh, my gosh,
0: they're out they're out yeah and don't bog like I think you can use the same tips that you were saying about give choices like Mm -hmm. you know uh, do you want to be a wizard or a fighter Yeah. like don't be like there's nine character choice classes and you have to read the entire section on each class before you make your informed decision of who you want to be like that's yeah you got to give simple simple things
4: yeah Simple things. And, and even within the realm of, you know, what you were saying about wizard or fighter, would you like to use magic or wouldn't you? You know, it's yeah. like those, yeah. those sorts of very simple things, because most people understand what magic is. Um, you yeah. know,
0: most I, people are wizards.
4: Right. <laughs> yeah. Super I found easy. it when I was
1: teaching people that well. one thing that I thought was helpful for them is that they were all new. Mm. But this, so, having, uh, oh nobody God, had any knowledge groups. whatsoever. So, nobody felt intimidated. They were all asking questions in front of each other. And so, that's always helpful to have m- at least another new person at the table. It right. makes you feel a lot more comfortable. But mm-hmm. instead of saying, like, do you want to be an elf or a wizard? You know, like, actually giving them some fictional examples of, you know, characters that they were, yeah. they could be familiar with. I had a friend who loves Harry Potter. So, you know, like, do you want to be Harry Potter? <laughs> yes, I do. Simple. All right. Yeah. Straight up. You can be Harry Potter. Um, you can be Her- Hermione. You can y- be yeah. Uh, yeah, Ron. You can, yeah. And just like giving them something um, to identify with just made it a little bit easier for them to grasp. Absolutely.
4: Well, and, and a lot of people, as you pointed out, are familiar with very popular books and movies. And the benefit of doing that is that people get a visual in their head of what that landscape or what that environment also is going to be like, mm. yeah. you know, so, so bringing up a castle or bringing up something and, it, and it, I don't feel it's reductive. meaning I don't feel it's reducing D and D to something that's, you know, just like pithy and punny or anything no. like that. It, it's basically just helping ground new players in this visual reality yeah. until they build that image for themselves in their own mind. Um, you know, and sometimes that can help with the theme too, because you know, Dungeons and Dragons, you could say, well, it's Lord of the Rings meets and then, you know, mention another movie for the theme. Like if you're going with a buddy fantasy, um, you know, you might you might mention um, uh, Skull Kickers, the comic or, you know, just trying to think of something else that kind of helps them get that tone. Right. Will also help.
0: Um, shifting tracks a little bit, you want to talk about, uh, the kind of adventures and stuff you've been writing for the Dungeon Masters Guild a little bit?
4: Yeah, that'd be great. Um, so I wrote, um, so the first one that I wrote, um, actually we're coming up on the anniversary almost of that coming out. I think it came out in February of last year. Nice. Yeah, got that in there was were right really, on yeah, one when, of the first ones.
0: Yeah, because the Dungeon Master's Guild just started, uh, uh, I think it was the 19th or the 14th of, of January. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you wrote quick.
4: <laughs> yeah, I, or I had it ready to go. very fast when I'm motivated. <laughs> <And> I was <laughs> like, oh, my God, I'm so excited. Um, so the first one that I wrote was Battle for the Undercity. Just great title. bringing it up. It is a good um, title. Because one of the, one of the problems that... Um, I like to do in terms of um, writing adventures is use them to facilitate or solve problems in, in different campaigns so that you can just kind of drop it in. Um, especially if I'm not mapping it to a larger part of the story. And one of the places where, um, uh, that exists in a lot of cities is kind of like the sewer system or the undercity. Yeah. you know, where, you know, here's all the ducks and, and, uh, here's all the tracks of the, um, you know, of the water where everything flows and whatnot. And um, the reason why I wanted to design this in particular is because it has three different themes. Um, one theme, I really kind of thought it would be hilarious slash scary to have goblins master um, how to ride beasts. So <laughs> I have goblins riding spiders and, um, you know, kind of a new goblin tribe that, you um, I imagine them with like, you know, little animal skulls on their heads and whatnot. Um, I just, yeah, I just thought it was hilarious myself. (laughs) Um, So there's kind of like that otherworldly kind of monstrous aspect to it to kind of introduce players to the idea that there could be um, other monsters in D&D. And then I wanted to do a human monster. And to do that, I have a really, really awful um, band of thieves, um, which um, they their merit tends to be in blood mm. and what they do to kind of get the money and, and different things like that. Um, and then I also really am drawn to the Epic fantasy portions of Dungeons and Dragons. So I added, um, a corrupted shield guardian who's guarding, um, another bad guy and kind of like in these ancient cemetery tombs and that's all within this area. So it's all underground. Yeah. And um, having an underground, but with one access point kind of helps keep these different areas focused, but also allows people to get the benefit of, well, do I want to go with some real world horror? Um, real worlds in quotation marks being within the context of D&D. <laughs> do I want to you know, battle monsters or do I want to go with something with a little bit more mystery that could lead to further campaigns? Um, and, and I have that within the guise of that adventure. Nice. Um, so when, yeah. you're, when you're writing so,
0: an adventure like that, do you th- you, it sounded like you really were thinking about how people would would run it. Uh, and that's a really yeah. interesting yeah. way to, to kind of think about conceptualizing writing something like this.
4: Yes, I always do, um, you know, I've, I've written for so many years for other people that I'm always thinking about fans and I'm always thinking about uses for what I'm writing mm. because um, I feel that adventures should be utilitarian and I know so many DMs that plug and play and change things up to fit their needs at their table and I thought, well, what happens if I kind of take these different aspects to give people more tools to do that? Um, and that's kind of the way I approach my adventures, you know. It's just kind of thinking about that utility of it.
1: Yeah. So how does that differ when you're writing something like a novella or a short story?
4: Well, a novella or a short story is very contained. Um, you know, it, I can write in um, layers, meaning there's you know some deeper story for fans and whatnot, but. Most of the time, the purpose of a novella or a novel is to tell a story about a character. They mm-hmm. have internal and external motivations and um, you know, within the context of the setting, and there's also conflict with you know, an antagonist. So um, it's a different goal. You know The purpose of an adventure and designing an adventure is to be able to tell more stories in it than just the one. The novella or the short story of the novel is to tell, you know, a contained story within that context, and it tends to be more static, um, unless we're talking about. Uh, it's called an interactive fiction game or an IF game, where, you know, you can make different choices within the context of that story, but it's still contained within that world. So, uh,
0: like a choose you your know, own adventure. Yeah, kind of
4: thing. yeah, like choose your own adventure style. Yeah, but you know, especially with, especially with these types of adventures, I mean, DMs are hugely creative. I mean, I've seen some people go off and research for weeks before setting up a campaign or developing like dozens of NPCs that they're not sure they'll ever use. But they, you know, they constantly create this additional setting content to go with these adventures, Um, which is why I wanted to tap into these different themes, because what I was thinking about was, oh, my gosh, this is a location that can be dropped into any city. Yeah. You know, that way you can kind of bend and twist and flow and you know maybe your city guard isn't my city guard but it could be the one that you're already using so there's different ways to tweak it that way too mm-hmm. i
0: love that and i think that's where the dungeon masters Guild's content really shines is when people have you know uh, an ongoing campaign or you know it's set in the forgotten realms already and they're just looking for you know ideas you know not even things that they can put in whole cloth um, mm-hmm. but just like you know concepts and ideas that dungeon masters had and there was Not really a hub where people could share all that um, You know before the Dungeon Master's Guild was set up. So it's kind of cool.
4: Yeah, it's really cool Yeah, absolutely. Well people always want to know that's the funny thing about it, right? People always want more ideas on how to run your game Mm -hmm. Um, Because coming up with adventures, you know, sometimes it's kind of hard. It's very difficult um, Because you can come up with the idea for say a MacGuffin. Oh my gosh, this is a really cool Rod of flame, and you know it lights everything on fire. Okay, that's great, but that's the prize that the players are going for. How do you How get to that get point? There, right. Yeah. How do you get to that point where you get that cool thing? Um, you want them to face off against a beholder. Oh my gosh, it's awesome. How do you get to face off the beholder? <laughs> yeah. Like what's between? So coming up with the in between bits is is I think a lot more challenging because what we're essentially talking about is scenes or beats. You know the story beats. Um, To be able to set the pace to slowly build up to that and sometimes for for some DMS those story beats can can really feel um, Lethargic it can Mm. feel like a drag because everybody just wants to get to the end. So how do you make the middle exciting?
0: Yeah, that's always my I mean, I was a short story writer and 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 you know playwright as well and that was always my my hard part was that I had a beginning usually and I had an end but what's I would what's in the middle? Uh, what's in the middle? And I'd be like, I, I, I don't know. I gotta. What do they do to get to that point? Yep. And it's very difficult. So you're right. Uh, you know, you almost want to come up with, you know, the things that sound. They seem false. They seem like, well, I'm just gonna make them do an action scene or do this. You know, and that
1: gratuitous <laughs> fight. Right. And then, but yeah.
0: sometimes that can end up being the best part of the book or the yeah. story. Uh, uh, but mm-hmm. you have to kind of force yourself to do it. And it's interesting that I think that's why I, I when I'm playing D and D, I lean towards more. Um, uh, like having the adventure be getting from point A to point B in a way. Like, you know, th- your resources are limited. There's no way you're going to get out of this <laughs> alive. So the middle part is basically taken up by random inv- encounter tables, you know, in a way. Interesting. Yeah. That works.
4: It That's works. Really interesting. It
0: works. But sometimes I do find, you know, my players will get a little bogged down. They're like, well, we we're just fighting whatever is on your table.
4: <laughs> Whatever's on your table. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> your random encounter table sucks, man. It's worse than your weather chart.
4: <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about that because I'm I'm designing a cult for Ravenloft, and um and I want to build a you know one of my things that I want to do I want to do a campaign around a cult because mm. I think that would be really interesting. Um, because cults are often, especially in gaming, they're thought of as these amoebas or crowds or monoliths, these faithless um, entities that you know have a mission or a goal. Yeah, and I've been thinking about ways of using different group antagonists like that where, you know, we have factions in D&D. and What if we take that a step further and the faction is the theme for the campaign so that all of the characters and the NPCs are somehow have a motivation or a feeling about that faction. Um, sometimes just adding little motivations. You know what does my player want out of this? What does the NPC want? How do they feel about this? How do they feel about each other? That can help that sagging middle too, yeah. because if the players really, really, really don't like the barkeep, and they <laughs> thought that this you know particular barkeep who you know maybe pickpocketed them or whatever, winds up showing up in the middle of their campaign on the way to some nowhere, and they run off and they discover that there's a larger story there, that can give the illusion that that plot is connected to the overall thing because they have an emotional reaction. because um, all of this is about emotions, what the players are feeling, how they're you know, responding to slaying monsters and running into people they don't like and, you know, having a laugh with somebody that they do.
0: So when you're, uh, when you're playing indie, do you tend to be more the player or the DM? I, I, I feel like you, you, you're a balance, but what is it? <laughs>
4: It's it's kind of both. Um, it's actually a relief for me when I can just play yeah. because um, it, it is because it takes a lot of mental work off of my plate because um, I do so much of this, you know, from day to day. When I can just kind of like flip gears like that and be like, oh my God, I can just be the tank. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and I can just beat the crap out of something. That's awesome. That's what I want to do. Yeah. Um, You know, running a game is a lot of fun. Um, As as Shelly mentioned before, I really love being able to run it for new players who don't know a thing about D&D. That's usually one of my most favorite experiences, but I also like running it when I can get um, deeper into the setting for experienced players and just really kind of push the boundaries a little bit of what they get latched onto the story. So it's not just about the encounters. I love the encounters, the encounters are great for me, the connective tissue is why they're in that encounter in the first
0: place. Yeah. I feel like making that feel, uh, real and important to them is, is a challenge, but if you can nail it, it makes those encounters, you know, that much more dramatic.
4: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and you know, when I was writing, um, in Volo's wake for the new, volo's guide to monster which is such a pretty pretty book oh. um <laughs> that is sorry pretty, i'm looking at it right now with the with the black and silver color it's just oh, gorgeous God, you um, got the new one you got the, the, I the, the alternative, alternative cover. cover i had to get the alternative cover it's gorgeous it's mm-hmm. absolutely gorgeous You're i enough. love i love books and i love that visceral feel and the smell of the ink but there's really nothing you know like the spot glass and the covers or the silver on the covers there's just mm. really nothing like it it's, it's so just good. super awesome oh, i'm so um, happy with that cover but you know, when when I was working on Invola's Wake with Sean, one of the things that came up was that um, we have a theme for the adventures, and uh, the theme or the goal for all of the mini adventures is very similar. Mm. Um, in that, uh, and I'm not spoiling anything by saying this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, before before I, I get you into saying that, can you give our listeners just like a, a you know, because I'm sure not everybody's familiar with Adventurers League and what uh, what what's going on there. So yeah, talk about a little bit what what in Wake is.
4: So, In Volo's Wake is an introductory adventure to introduce the um, Adventurers League to the brand new Volo's Guide to Monsters. Mm. And In (laughs) Volo's Volo's Wake takes place um, at first in the town of Fandolin, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. (laughs) <laughs> I had to, I had to say that a couple of times to make sure, cause it sounds like mandolin. Yeah. So I was, I was like, Oh my gosh, please don't say mandolin. Just say mandolin. <laughs> <how I> <laughs> it,
0: Mandy Patinkin, the town of Mandy <laughs> Patinkin. <laughs> <Right>.
4: <laughs> <laughs> you say what that means, but I do not think. Um, so, um, so the idea is, is that, um, you know, Volo has these groupies basically hmm. <laughs> who have gone um, wandering off that. after him to varying degrees. And um, in Volo's wake um, is an introductory adventure where you are a band of a merry band of adventurers. Um, adventures <laughs> starts off at um, level one. So it is an introductory adventure. And as you continue, you rescue more and more people that are kind of on the trail of Volo and get wrapped up in his quote unquote wake. Um, and there is a larger mystery behind it, but uh, the concept of rescuing people is, is a very prominent and prevalent theme. Nice. And and that was something that came up a lot is, oh, my God, how do I write rescuing people so it doesn't all sound the same <laughs> for, for every little mini adventure that, that I wrote? So um, what I did was I looked at the p- people that were being rescued and I created relationships Um between them and also between some of the other characters that were back at Phandalin, um, to kind of represent, you know, okay, you may be going to catch X, but you're certainly not going to rescue them in the same way twice. And they have different reasons why they were enamored with Volo and why they were following him. Uh, you know, some of them didn't believe his feats. Some of them, you know, were groupies essentially like, Oh my God, there's somebody hunting monsters. It's so cool. Um, <laughs> But, but giving those different layers and making it very different means that it doesn't feel like it's the same old, okay, you're a complete idiot, you went out into the forest, and you didn't have the right gear. And now you're captured in front of blah, 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 you know, blah, 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 being a spoiler. So (laughs) it's, it's, it was very challenging in the sense that, you know, there's definitely a flow to it, and definitely a reason for being there. But those, those connections and some of the descriptions of, you know, how you find out where some of these, um, townspeople have been captured hopefully creates the emotional reaction. So you, you know, keep being vested in this story and then find out really what's behind all this stuff.
0: Nice. Yeah. I've been really impressed with the, the mini adventures, uh, and the way that they can convey story, um, almost with like the absence of a real, Encounter, you know, I mean, I've each of them kind of always have like a little bit of uh, of stats or, you know There'd be like a little bit of uh, uh, you know, the dogs are attacking or you know something like that for for early level <laughs> players um, But uh, the Adventurers League writers have been so good at at, at weaving in story that at, that feels very visceral and also does a great job of introducing the themes of, of Whatever the adventure is or the book is Um so, yeah, I, I think it's great. I think it's a new way of almost writing adventures in a way. I don't think anybody's really done these very small, uh, uh, concise experiences um, with the specific nature of, like, here's what to expect for the next six months, you know?
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, I think... I think the Adventures League Stuff is really um, fantastic and these beginner guides are, are great and I really like the structure um, structurally I think it's great for both new and experienced writers beca- experienced writers especially the ones who are wordy and like to go over word count I'm not thinking of anyone there <laughs> um, uh, because it forces you to be concise right you yeah. only have so much space to get your point across which means that if you overwrite your overwrite meaning you go over your allotted word count for the first draft you have to pare it down and you need to read it out loud and make sure it's very visceral and when you do that you start pulling out the things that you really don't need to be there so it helps experienced writers who are a little wordy improve that way um on the flip side for new writers giving those boundaries and those um uh, those structures in place especially things like the quotes oh my god i love the in character quotes The ones where, you know, you add them for the NPCs and the GM can or, you know, know, we usually ask that the GM read those out loud. Yeah. Those are great because that talks back to that language bit that you were talking about earlier where this is what this NPC sounds like. Right. So, you know, you can give them a little bit of an accent. You can kind of play around with the dialogue a little bit. And that breathes life into those NPCs. So all of the NPCs don't sound the same either.
0: Do you do that when you you run those uh, adventures? Do you... Because there's always a question I like to ask people because it's like, do you like read those whole cloth or do you do you <laughs> like you said, like kind of absorb what right. it is and then portray that and however you can at the table. So it feels real.
4: Um, I like to do I like to do a little bit of both. But um, usually if the quote is in character, meaning that, you know, this is the way the writer intended this character to sound. I try to put a little bit of an accent or a funny voice to it and whatnot. <laughs>
1: Much um, appreciated. I, <laughs> thank you. Um,
4: <laughs> The things I really love about narrating NPCs is being able to give them like tics or weird little behavioral things. We all have filler words we use. Yeah. You know, some use um some people use like some people use a combination of multiple, you know, nonsense words. Um, Those can be very powerful and telling for what that character uses, but also little like exclamations, you know, for the love of the bard or, you know, whatever. (laughs) the NBC decides to say, I love having things like that and bringing that out. Um, so usually what I'll do is I'll look at the square and I can tell if the writer was like, I just ran out of ideas that I have to get this information across. So here's a quote. Um, here's exposition for you to read. <laughs> yeah. Here's, here's some personality. Yeah. And, uh, I think there's, I think there's two different ways of writing that, but, um, That's you know, a, both are valuable.
0: I really just took um, a little tidbit from what you just said that was might be really valuable for me to use in the future, which is, I mean, I, I do use a uh and an ah, uh, like when I'm trying to come up with what I'm trying to say, but if you were to create those, you know, specific words for specific characters, it would still feel like you're, in, you're you know, even though you're trying to come up with, you know, you're, you're basically filling time to, to let your brain catch up with you,
1: mm-hmm.
0: using ones that are specific for each character. Uh, kind yeah. of sounds interesting.
4: That does. Yeah, it really because we all have different ways that we think about things and remember things and whatnot. Um, you know, like when when I was talking to you about my experiences with D and D and running D and D in my head, it all got discombobulated because I'm thinking about what it was like <laughs> to be what it was like to be a fan, yeah. right? But then I went from a fan to somebody who was playing the game. And then I went from playing the game to writing games. And then I went from writing games to writing D&D, you know, and then I went from writing d d but I also run d d but I also teach, you know, so it's all these different layers of, you know, where your involvement comes in on this spectrum. Mm-hmm. And that's what filler words do is that when you're thinking about different things and trying to switch different topics, that can be very powerful. But the other thing they're really good for, oh my gosh, is when a character is having an emotional reveal. So if your NPC is really stuck and trying to tell the characters that the person that they were trying to rescue has died, they might come up with these, you know, instead of just uncomfortable pauses, fill it with something, fill it with, you know, maybe a song or um, a song lyric that they're stuck on like a lullaby. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine how powerful that would be in an adventure where a dad loses his son? Hmm. And he lost his son to war, and the players had to go and rescue this son. On this, you know, the battle has already ended, and they were supposed to bring him home alive. Yeah. And you know, they get there, they find out everything has been cleared out. They go back. <laughs> the dad tries to tell them he's dead. So you know, they come into this She just made up a story, thinking, like just well, like. That. <laughs> yeah, I do this all the time. So yeah. <laughs> I. Just, it's a it's a problem, but um.
0: It's got a little Saving Private Ryan in you know, there. I but. know. <laughs>
4: yeah. yeah. But but I mean, those sorts of moments where we can use music or, um, you know, different sorts of filler things. I think that's what makes D&D so exciting to play and and so real. Yeah. And that's where it's not just about the dragon.
0: That's where it verges into theater, too. I mean, I think that's very exciting where, you know, the improv nature of it where, you know, I mean, everybody has stories about like how nobody knew what where the adventure was going to go. So they just made it up and it ended up being a more powerful moment because of it, because of the the improvisation. And it's really interesting to think about, you know, how you're going to portray something in the future. So like, you know, even though the moment may be improv, you can still pull on these little details that allow you to improv and come up with new thoughts that the character is having while still having it be consistent with what you want the story to, to be told. So...
4: I think yeah, it's all um, super fast, And it is a lot like putting a puzzle together, right? Because within the confines of, uh, basically what I'm looking at, within the confines of D&D, its mm-hmm. tropes, its structure, the game, the rules, et cetera, how far can I bend some of those um, constructs right. to be able to tell that compelling story?
0: All right. I, I'm, now I'm inspired and I want to go do it.
1: No. I <laughs> think
4: you should teach a class, Monica,
1: adventuring. <laughs> oh, writing. thank you.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
4: that's really interesting.
0: Adventuring 101.
4: Yeah. Adventuring 101. Well, it's, you know, it's just so much fun. And those exciting moments are what keeps players coming back you know, the more fun they have, the more they want to teach to other people, the more they want to grab in their kids or their friends or, you know, whatever. True. And, you know, the more gaming we have, the more we can get different people with different backgrounds and different ideas sitting together to roll dice and tell a story. I mean, that's an amazing thing. Yeah, it is. So awesome.
1: I like that, you know, when you're writing these adventures, how much you're thinking about the end user and how they're, they're using them and putting your, I mean, I'm, I'm sure people, all people do that to an extent, but it's just, I don't know. Actually, I feel like I would just write an adventure and hope it hope for the best. Yeah, so that you're really thinking about.
0: <laughs> I mean, I have I have spoken with some you know uh, writers and designers who who don't play as often. You know, which is yeah. uh, which is always an odd thing. Yeah. You're always like, well, I don't. I just design adventures and I don't actually you know have the on the ground uh, experience or even experience with, yeah. with so this edition or the things too. It is so a it's a unique trait. It is. Yeah, I mean, you're really you're really bringing up and up the game here, Monica.
1: Yeah. The bar oh, has you.
0: been set. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks also for taking the time to to chat with us uh, here in this first uh, Dragon Talk episode of 2017.
4: Yeah, woo! Yeah, this was super exciting, and I wanna um, wanted to mention I got really excited when I read your um, DIY article in the last Dragon Plus magazine. Because I do crafting and I was like, oh, my oh. God, I could totally create little craft dragon style. This is awesome. Oh, my <laughs> God. there's another podcast, then we should talk about D&D crafts. Oh, yeah. Oh, my
1: gosh.
0: We could totally do that. There too. are
4: so many talented people. It just blows my mind. I know. There really are. It is
0: not so. So where can people find out uh, about, you know, where where your adventures are and, uh, you know, just more about, about where your where, other
4: work is. Yeah, what you doing. They can read your fiction, too. Awesome. So um, I have a website. It's called booksofm.com. The joke about the website is that my name is very long and sometimes people don't know how to spell it. I hear you. Mazzanoble. You don't know what that's like at all, (laughs) Is that with
1: one Z or three? (laughs) I know,
4: right? They get to the Z's and then they just give up. Oh, Oh, for me, it's like it it breaks my heart every time and that's kind of a pun because, um, Valentine, my <laughs> last name is literally Valentine yeah. with an LLI at the end. And I'm like, well, it's just Valentine with an LLI. And then I get people asking me, well, how do you spell Valentine? Oh. <laughs> and, then <I> go, <laughs> and then I, then I cry a little, Yeah. <laughs> look at my set of dictionaries and then, you know, fall into a puddle of goo and you <laughs> <laughs> think my life choices. Um, <laughs> so, so my website is com, and, um, This year, I'm also doing something a little new and a little different to um, kind of motivate and inspire artists and help keep people focused. Um, I did a Make Art Not War challenge, which is encouraging artists to make art, um, including games, uh, one hour every day. Mm. Wow. And it's trying to keep people motivated in different ways. Different people are taking it and running off with it in different directions. So I'm trying to do a variety of creative prompts to kind of help people, you know, Stay motivated and keep Man. focused. Oh, lot, that's really so. cool. I need all that creative Here. prompts. I'm going. Yeah. i going there right after this. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, so that's where all my work is. Um, a bunch of the books are featured on the front. And then I've got, you know, like different bios and things like that. Um, and then I'm going to be a guest at the midwinter convention in Milwaukee next weekend. Pretty sweet. Um, so I'll be there. And then I have a couple other conventions, but I talk about all that stuff on my website. So And then sweet. for the...
1: Uh, the Dungeon Masters Guild. We can search the for your Masters adventures.
4: Guild, um, that, uh, Battle for the Undercity, is the one that I did last year. In Volo's Wake um, um, is for the new book. That is not available yet. But uh, the reason why I've been taking so long on the other one is because I'm actually doing it as a campaign and I'm doing it a little bit longer than the other ones that I've done. So that's that's why it's taking a little bit because I'm, well it. <laughs> I'm having that moments of anxiety where I'm like, oh, my God, I'm spending how many words on this? And why <laughs> am I spending so many words on this? But it's going to be awesome. Because people will love it and they'll appreciate I hope it. so. I hope so. It's no going to be knows. much darker than my other stuff. So, oh, cool. yeah. but I'm sure yeah. equally as thoughtful.
0: So. Bringing in the uh, oh, this is the cult one you were talking about for Ravenloft, right?
4: Yeah, yeah. The um, it's gonna be uh, the Cult of the Gray Mist.
1: Oh,
4: Ooh, another good title. So it's gonna be very. Um, there's gonna be a lot of moral ambiguity in this one. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Love <laughs> within, it. within the context of Ravenloft. Timely. Very keeping timely. up the
0: uh, <laughs> keeping up the old D and D tradition of titles that have blank of the blank.
4: Yep. <laughs> oh, I love those titles. We need a <laughs> title great generator. Titles. Oh my gosh! If I can leave everybody with one tip, use pronounceable names in your work. Oh, oh please! That is true. Yes.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Yes. One, that's the last. Letter.
1: Says the woman with a hard-to-pronounce last name. That's Valen- right. She knows. I'm
0: going to say it once, just so we get it out there. Valentinelli.
1: Yep. Nice. Oh, that's good. See,
0: that's my my. It almost
4: it. sounds like Valerie Bertinelli. <laughs> 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 That too. I've right. heard it all. Pinky Tuscadero, <laughs> Gina Lobel-Brigida. <laughs> Sounds like Spaghetti. Wow. Spaghetti. That's a good way to
0: remember. Valentinelli. It.
1: Valentinelli is a great name. It is. Thank you. Yeah, You had no choice but to be a writer, really. <laughs> no. <laughs> you
0: had no we choice. We had many other choices.
4: <laughs> you tell you your know, parents you had no <laughs> choice. You really wanted to be a choice. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks, Monica, and uh, hopefully we'll hear more from you uh, in 2017.
4: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.
1: Love her.
0: Very sweet. Very sweet. She
1: would be an excellent teacher. I think she needs to do a webinar. A webinar
0: on on dungeon masterings. Yep. Yep.
1: Dungeon mastering and writing adventures.
0: I'd sign up for that class. I would, too. Yeah. All right. We'll make it happen. Get on that, Monica.
1: If you're listening <laughs> if
0: you're listening well she does teach I think she has teaching experience yeah. you know in the in the college town so it's all right there yep love it all right sweet so go look up all of her work it's amazing uh and uh also all the people who do stuff on the dungeon master's guild it's uh it's like I said it's almost a year uh, up to it and it's been super interesting seeing everything that comes through I
1: know it. yeah good job community
0: And, of course, check out DungeonsAndDragons.com to find out more about Tales from the Yawning Portal, uh, which, again, is coming (laughs) out uh, April 4th for everyone in a wide release and March 24th in game stores. Very exciting. Yeah. Way to get into older adventures, see how adventure writing has changed from the early days of Gary Gygax and uh, Against the Giants to, um, you know, more modern ones of today.
1: So this is a stupid question, but I've never done this. I don't know. Is it hard to convert an adventure from a previous edition to a current edition? Like, what kind of, what do you have to do?
0: Well, it can be. Um, it, it, you kind of have to get the, uh, you know, usually the the monsters have been updated, you know, that they're they're more common monsters. Yeah. Uh, uh, that That's an easy kind of plug and play. Uh, but sometimes our challenge might be different, you know, say like in the older days, fire giants were super hard, uh, so there was only one of them in a group. Uh, oh. And so you might, there might be some balancing issues there okay. to make sure that that uh, people at the right level are having the significant challenge, you know, that they need. Huh. So that's a little bit of it, and then it's also just making sure, you know, the words and mechanics are all match up to the way the new edition kind of describes things. Cool. So not necessarily hard, but just more time-consuming. Yeah, and there's a lot yeah. of adventures in this right. book. So somebody f- did. But I mean, that's one Thanks. of the. That was one of the selling points of fifth edition was that it was easier to convert. Uh, older adventures that were in OD&D and AD&D to the 5th edition model because of I don't know the the math uh, matched up better than 3rd and 4th did for example
1: I think people will probably appreciate having that work done for them
0: exactly and you get back into the D&D history Um, and of course over the next few weeks we'll be talking to uh, Mike Merles and Jeremy Crawford and uh, Emmy Tanji and oh, all of the good. art directors who put together uh, the amazing work uh, uh, in putting together
1: this book. That's cool. We'll do it again. I can't wait to see. It.
0: All right, Happy New Year, everybody.
1: Happy New Year.
0: We will see you next week. This has been <laughs> Dragon Talk.
1: Dragon Talk. Rawr. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Excellent.